Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, where a multiple award-winning show celebrating 14 years is Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Good evening, I'm Roberta Radovich, and in today's broadcast, you'll hear reflections and observations from from James Strong, the IU Soul Review Director, and the recent presentation of an honorary doctorate degree to Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, all in the next hour on Bring It On. But first three judicial seats, seat two, seat three, and seat eight, and we'll explain that a little bit later, in Monroe County are up for grabs in the the, um, midterm election on November 6th. The Democratic candidates are Darcy Fawcett for Circuit Court Judge, Division 9, seat eight, Catherine Stafford, Circuit Court Judge, Division 6, seat three, and Christine Talley-Hazeman, Circuit Court Judge, Division 2, seat two, and I hope I did not mess that up. No, nope. sir. Got okay. It. Got it correct. It's okay. press. Mine's easy. <laughs> Darcy Fawcett has worked as a prosecutor for 10 years, focusing on sex crimes. She said cases often last up to 18 months or even two years. A long wait, she said, weighs on victims, defendants, and their families alike. Now, as she runs to become a judge in Monroe County, Fawcett said she keeps this experience in mind. Making sure that their cases are moving through efficiently is her biggest goal. Catherine Stafford grew up in Bloomington and has been involved most of her life in political causes, from working with the league, the local League of Women Voters as a young adult to volunteering with recent local judicial campaigns. Uh, however, Stafford said she never seriously considered running for office herself until recently. In her words, it's putting yourself out there and answering questions in a much different way. But this year, the time seemed right, as she earlier filed as a judicial candidate running for seat three. Finally, in her 22 years as an attorney, Christine Talley Hassman said she has seen too many cases in which a parent loses contact with his or her child because of mental illness. She said that this outcome isn't necessarily good for the parent or the child. Now, as she runs for judge in Monroe County, Hassman says she has a special interest in working with people coping with mental illness. To me, the issue is not if the parent has a mental illness, but if it's treated, she said. If it's not being treated, we want to help them get the services they need. Hassman works in her own private practice, dealing mostly with family law cases, and is running for the judicial race for seat two. And now with the introductions out of the way, Ms. Fawcett, Ms. Stafford, and Ms. Tally Hazeman, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, yes. We're glad to be here. And thank you for accommodating us on what will be a busy evening for all three of you as you're then off to a candidate's forum. Um, And I think the location of that forum will be? Bell Trace. Bell Trace. Mm -hmm. And so um, the campaigning never stops until November 5th or 6th. 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 Okay. (laughs) All right. Um, Well, let's... um, 
First, can you explain, um, I, I notice as, it sort of sounded almost like a judicial alphabet soup with uh, <laughs> C2, C3, Section 4, whatever, but um, can you explain what the different designations mean, i.e. Division X or Seat X? Sure. Uh, this is Catherine. Let me uh, address that real briefly. Monroe County is one of the few counties in Indiana that has what we call a unified circuit court. In other words, we have nine judges, all of whom are co-equal, except for a presiding judge who's selected uh, to serve usually a two-year term. So what is unusual about our county is that our local board of judges can switch which judge and which seat hears what kinds of cases. So usually the three of us, uh, nobody keeps track of the seats or the divisions ex except for the candidates really, and, and sometimes not even us. Um, what really is important is which judge we are running to um, fill, fill that seat. And then what will happen is the board of judges will vote on who hears what kinds of cases. Mm -hmm. So you're not necessarily voting for us to hear this kind of case of the judge that we would be replacing. One thing I would add on that, this is Christine, and Catherine was talking about a unified court. Um, I've previously served on the Board of Judges in 2008, and um, one of the benefits I learned that year was not only um, can any of the judges hear any of the cases, but um, or any kind of case, but it's a court of general jurisdiction. So, for example, to, what I found the best example was if, if a protective order has been filed, say it was filed in circuit court uh, or whatever, and that judge is not available that day, you can find any judge and they still have jurisdiction to sign off on that. So you can get that protective order issued right away. You don't have to find the judge for the court that it was filed in. And that provides a measure of safety for our community, which um, is really nice. And this is Darcy. So there are a total of nine seats, four of which are typically here civil cases, four here criminal, and then there's one that presides over the juvenile type cases. Um, and that's just to help you know, balance the caseloads across all the different filings that come in. Because it's, it's pretty equal in terms of the type of cases that get filed. It's 51% civil, maybe 49% criminal, just depending on you know, what year it is or what statistics you're looking at. But, so there is a civil division and a criminal division. But as they, both candidates said earlier, you could be asked to, even if you're sitting over a criminal caseload, you could ask to be step up to, to hear a, uh, a civil case. And then if there are matters that come before your, um, your bench that, of course, you may have to recuse yourself on, then the board can do the appropriate change up and there's actually a trial rule that helps with that so if um one of us had to disqualify ourselves from a case which um for example i have happened frequently because i helped um i was the campaign chair for one of my friends who's now a sitting judge and she of course it wouldn't be appropriate for her to preside over a case that i'm litigating and so she issues an order of disqualification and we have trial rule 76 that allows us to perhaps agree to a new judge and if not the local um judicial district will help assign a new judge for us you know i always wondered uh, elected officials have they always have to be cognizant and aware where they are in the public absolutely um, you, you must be but then i, I look at uh, uh judges and they almost have to doubly make sure yes uh you, you can't roll through a stop sign <laughs> not you even gotta, on a scooter and, and you gotta <laughs> and you gotta slow down at a yellow more than everyone else yes sir um and then i don't know do you do you litigate or do you decide cases between neighbors that their dog, whatever, and whatever. 
if they were my neighbors, no. Okay. I would I would disqualify myself if they were my neighbors or my relatives or if they were prior clients of mine. I've been in practice for almost 21 years, and I have been running Stafford Law Office now for for almost 14 years. So if it's a prior client of mine, I have a relationship with that person. And, and I always like to think about it, and I, and I know Christine and Darcy do as well, uh, how would I feel if I were the other side? Right, would that feel right. unfair? Would it feel like there was a bias there? And if so, then it's appropriate for me to disqualify myself. That is and, awesome responsibility. Well, and it's also not just it, the for judges, it's the appearance of impropriety. Right. So even right. if you feel that you can be neutral, um, if it appears like it, if it appears like it might be a problem this is Christine I should have said that if it appears like there might be a problem you should disqualify or sometimes the parties will, will agree and say fine they don't care I've had when I was judged before a high school friend of mine appeared before me in a in a case and everybody said they didn't care they were fine but you need to make sure and be very aware of that and even out this is Darcy even outside of hearing the type of cases the judges have to be careful with what they do publicly um, for me you know one thing I'm will be the hardest for me if if I win is not being able to be as active as I have been in the community because so many of the boards and everything that I've sat on, all the various responsibilities that I've taken in those areas, I can no longer do as a judge because, like Christine said, just that that appearance of um, maybe an impartiality or a certain belief, you know, wouldn't make the litigants who come before me feel very comfortable. Well, and, and one great example of that is with separation of powers. I know that, that all three of us serve on various county commissions and boards. We can't be on any government commission once we win or are sworn in because that would violate the separation of powers clause. So we can only be on a board or commission for the government if we are there because we're a judge. So that was, I, I had a question about, you know, is there a perceived conflict of interest with some of your community service or some of the ways that each of you are kind of leaders in your community with regard to giving back or representing boards or commissions. Yes, this is Darcy for, I mean, I'm on the Human Rights Commission, the mm -hmm. Bloomington Urban Enterprise Association, which is a, a board from the city. I'm on the uh, vice president on the parks board. And so all of those things um, I'd have to step back from mm -hmm. and even I think it maybe would be a closer call, but even working as the president of the uh, Fairview PTO, which is where mm. my children go to school, right. um, you know, mm. could could cause some future issues. So most likely I'll probably step down from that too. And my girls aren't very happy about that because they like to be <laughs> in the know of what's going to happen at school. But I think that's something I wouldn't be able to do for, you know, much longer. Yeah. Well, and this is Christine and an important piece that goes along with that. And my kids are older than Catherine's and Darcy's, so it may affect them a little bit more. But judges are not allowed to participate in any fundraising. Um, we're not even allowed to do fundraising for our own campaign. Somebody else has to do that for us. But, you know, our kids in school, we we need my son's in marching band at north well we need to raise funds but i can't um and and it's so, so easy i keep telling myself be careful because i can't even send out a you know facebook post hey do you want to support the marching band and i know darcy's work at fairview is um you know on the head of the pto but she does i would assume that it includes a lot of fundraising and things that she has that's been important to her been important to the school been important to her kids she's going to have to step back and not be able to do that. And that's going to apply to all of us. Right. So is it hard to pull back? I'm just getting in your personal business here a little <laughs> oh bit. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know the moment that we find ourselves, right? Like 
nearly 50% of the population is women and only 20% of it of us are in leadership positions where our voices are at the table. So I know it's really time to close that that gap on all different levels, national, regional, um, all of these kinds of places, all these different platforms available to us. But what do you, what do you, what do you lose in exchange? I mean, what, what do you give up? What do you sacrifice in exchange? Let, let me just say, first of all, that I think all three of us would agree that it's a sacrifice that's needed and is done willingly. Um, we don't want a judge who is considered to have prejudged a case. And so we all recognize the policy reason why it's important for us to step back. Um, with that said, while I don't regret that, I do sometimes have a pang where I miss the level of political activism that I've had. I've been politically active in this town since I was about six years old. And uh, so 41 years I've, I've been uh, involved in different activities here locally and also when I went to law school in Minnesota. Um, it is hard to give that up, especially in today's political climate when there are so many things that need to be said. Mm -hmm. um, I don't view running for judge as a muzzle, but I view it as a filter. Mm -hmm. No, I would agree with that. Yeah. I think just especially seeing the rise of activism um, on both sides, as it should be, um, you know, that, that will be one that we won't be able to partake in as much um, mm -hmm. as candidates now, um, in addition to, you know, whoever is successful um, in the November election. Because those rules already apply to us as candidates. So right. the, mm -hmm. the same rules as when we become judge, the judicial canons of ethics apply the minute you declare that you're a, a candidate. That's right. Uh, judges, as, and we, we already established that judges are expected to be impartial and unbiased and not openly express any political preferences. Aside from that, what types of values should a judge bring to the bench? I'm going to, I'm looking at Catherine to start actually, though, right. because that's actually part of your... Sure. Um, uh, what, one of the things that I think is really important as a judge is that we recognize that for the judges, for the court reporters, for the bailiffs, for the attorneys they're in court every day or most days, and it's a normal experience for them. What we all need to keep in mind is that for most litigants, for most parties, that's their first time in court and they are super unhappy to be there. I have never met a person who says, you know what, let's go to court today instead of going to Disney World. It's not a thing. Um, and what we need to do as a judge is to be careful to walk a, a very narrow balance between helping make sure that the courtroom experience makes sense to people and yet not crossing over to give people legal advice because that would violate our neutral role as the judge, as the finder of fact, and as the decider of laws. And so one of the things that we can do as judge to help make the courtroom more accessible and more understandable to people is to make sure that there are other resources available rather than right there in the courtroom during that one case so that people have a way to prepare for court. And that means making sure that we have pro bono, which means uh, free or reduced fee legal services available, and judges do serve on our local pro bono district. That means making sure that we have a good working relationship with Indiana Legal Services and Justice Unlocked, both of which provide free or, in the case of Justice Unlocked, sliding scale legal services here in our community. Um, I know that all of us have a rich history of doing pro bono work, and I think that that's something that is important that we bring to the bench. And, and for me, this is Darcy, um, obviously, as we've emphasized, and if I have to, you know, fair and impartial, fair and impartial, fair and impartial, that what, that's what judges need. But I also think judges have to be careful that it's not presented in a, uh, in a way where they appear detached and uncaring. Mm -hmm. And as Catherine was saying, hopefully you won't have the experience of having to be in front of a courtroom but when you are you also want to make sure you have a judge who you know is listening and who isn't 
prejudging you based on their own experiences. Um, and I, one of my previous careers before going to law school and becoming an attorney, of which I've done a little bit of civil and then also prosec- uh, criminal prosecution, is being a teacher. And what that has given to me is the ability to understand and relate to the people in front of me um, You know, when I am a judge and understand where they're coming from. And when I taught, I specifically remember teaching in Chicago public schools on the south side, the highest murder rate, drug rate, sex offender rate of all Chicago. And it's all too easy just to look at a student and be like, you know, you're not coming to school. You just must not care. And then finally pulling them aside and talking to them and having them say to me, you know, Miss Fawcett, if I come to school, that means no one's at home with my mom. And if she leaves the house, she's going to go and, you know, find drugs. And so it's all too easy if you don't have that sort of, you know, background and exposure of working with a bunch of different people that are different from you, because let's be honest, I went to um, a good undergrad. I went to University of Wisconsin. I was able to go to law school. So I don't have a problem finding a job. But somebody who didn't have those same experiences might. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important while a judge has to be fair and impartial, that detachment at times you can easily forget and you can lose your touchstone to reality, I think. Yeah. And if I can, kind of building on that a little bit, one of the things, and I did this one, um, I tried very hard to do this when I was a judge before and also a juvenile referee. When I was, I did small, one of the, one of the things I did before was small claims and we could have up to um, a proceeding supplemental, like up to 300 um, cases in a day. Uh, now I didn't, as a judge, talk to each one of those people, but um, was available for anybody that wanted to come before the judge. And the thing that I think is really, really important is to remember that, you know what, I may have had 300 cases today, but the person in front of me, that's their case. That's their one case. Right. That's their day in court. Right. And it may be four o'clock in the afternoon and I may be tired and I may have heard the same story 299 times before, but it's important that that person gets their day in court and gets to be heard. And um, I'm pro temming, which is a, a temporary judge filling in for um, a judge over in Owen County for several days this week and um, have probably 20 or 30 hearings set tomorrow. And it's the same thing. You know, by the end of the day, it's it's a heavy docket. It's going to be exhausting. But the last hearing is as important as the first. And um, I was actually, uh, he'll, the person I'm talking, the person, he'll know who I'm talking about, but I really appreciate it. It felt like I got a compliment today. Um, an attorney was saying that, you know, he appreciated that I was, um, uh, treated all the people with respect, and these are criminal cases, but you know what? You treat everybody with respect when they're in front of you, um, no matter what the allegations are. You know, we, we just uh, began a direction into sensitivity uh, while you sit on the, uh, mm. the court bench, and uh, there are cases you probably have seen where individuals come before you who, for a variety of reasons, have found themselves in the criminal justice systems system at an early age, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking more of people who are African-American or Hispanic, that community right now. Right. I mean, and it's not just germane to one, it's, it's all across, but uh, because our show does focus on those issues of importance for African-Americans, I think of African-American males who who populate our prisons and jails and, and the like um, in astronomical numbers. The sensitivities you bring, and you pointed out south side of Chicago, and that sort of prompted me to, to kind of ask this question is, being sensitive to where they're coming from, and you are, and maybe not, are you, can you get creative in how you uh, determine either corrective sentencing, or can you be uh, creative and, you know, I can throw 
the maximum at this situation, which let's be reasonable, what is that going to achieve? Or I can try to find out where the need is the greatest right now in this person's life. So, And this is Darcy, and as a deputy prosecutor, and I've, um, you know, I, I come into contact with that exact question on a daily basis, daily basis. Every time a case comes in front of me, I think, and I often say this to the defense attorneys, what can I do so we don't have to see your client again? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting as I've, the longer I have been a prosecutor, I, I will say I've grown in that I have gotten away from, oh, this is the fifth burglary. They've done this again. They got caught. They admitted solution is prison. Goodbye. Where's my next case? And that that's not, sometimes we need to send people to prison. But I also think that the first thought should be, can we do something creative? Can we put them into a problem-solving court? And again, as a prosecutor, I work with those guys on, you know, on many, many cases. We've got the mental health court. um, We've got drug treatment court. We've got the reentry court. um, And so what that will do is it will get, if there's an underlying problem, say drugs, and it will get at that issue and therefore if they don't need drugs they won't have to go and commit crimes and so let's see what we can do to help focus and and get them the help that they need as opposed to just sending them off or somewhere where they have to come home and then and i think also what's important for judges to remember is that you don't just impact that person standing in front of you it is a ripple effect and it impacts their families you're impacting kids when you're sending their dads or their moms to prisons Uh, And again, sometimes it's needed, but that doesn't have to be the go-to spot. And so, yes, I think I love the fact that here in Monroe County, we have so many problem-solving courts. Mm -hmm. And we're, um, in all honesty, we're um, a a pilot county to look at the um, pretrial release program Mm -hmm. where we're getting away from the cash bonds because at times, um, you know, you shouldn't, whether or not you're sitting in jail shouldn't depend on whether or not you have the ability to come up with money. You can have two defendants charged with the same thing, and just because one happens to come from money, they get to be out. And um, one other thing as a piggyback to that question. Um, What do you do before this person, as judges, can you go in the community before this person ever sets foot in your court (coughs) to do uh, sort of uh, just preemptive type of things uh, to keep them sort of on the you know, uh, the straight and narrow to keep them focused, uh, to get the type of intervention type of help that they may need prior to them setting foot. Are there programs that you uh, promote or would like to see occur in Monroe County? You know, I don't know of many that we have here in Monroe County, but I have heard of other counties or other states even where the judges do go out into the community and, you know, they they give information about how the, the justice system work, be it help with a civil filing or a criminal case. And just making sure that all of the resources that com- community has, and Monroe County has a lot of them, um, making sure that people know about them. Because um, information is power, and if you can get access early on to the help that you need, it might prevent future problems um, you know, for you in the beginning. So that is one thing I think it, it would be um, of the you know, benefit to the public if if we were to continue to have uh, educational talks about what we can do and what we can't do within the justice system. 
Well, and I'm hoping I heard because we were <coughs> trying Pardon to me. find trying to find something. I'm hoping I heard the question right. But I think the other thing is the earlier we can work with kids, um, the better off we're going to be. Um, especially, you know, if there are kids whose parents are in the system, um, the kids are by default in the system, even if it's not an abuse or neglect case. Like Darcy was saying, if if their parents are incarcerated, it affects the children. But um, and I think the programs that we programs that I would um, came to mind immediately for me are our Boys and Girls Club, which they've just built this beautiful new facility mm-hmm. up at, on Crestmont, Crestmont mm-hmm. and which is just gorgeous and um, and offers so many opportunities for kids in that area within walking distance. Um, Girls Inc. that um, certainly provides role models and programs and things for the, for the um, girls in the community. And then um, I know I'm a member of the board of directors for our local National Alliance for Mental Illness <laughs> and I'm really pleased that our local school system is starting to focus on mental illness of of parents, but also the children within the school system, because the numbers of children in our school system that have undiagnosed, untreated mental illness are really high. And a lot of times those things end up with people in the criminal justice system criminal justice system. Unfortunately, our um, prison systems are our number one provider of mental health care services. And um, that is not uh, the way it should be. And I think here in Monroe County, we're doing a really good job of trying to change that. Yeah. You know, we, we've had shows um, on the fact that we have a lot of homeless individuals. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, where I work each day, I see a lot of people you know, traversing with, with basically everything they own on their back okay. or maybe in a, in a shopping cart. Uh, and, and my heart goes out, and I always wonder, uh, do they sort of run afoul of things? Uh, do they just sort of find themselves in predicaments just because they may not getting may not be getting the services they need or they're just, just basically down on their luck, um, uh, you know, trying to panhandle or trying to do whatever just to whatever, okay. so... And, and I think a lot of that is, um, I'm sure it's not true for everybody, but again, undiagnosed, untreated mental illness, um, and partly because really and truly the services just are not available. Um, the, you know, we in this community are so lacking, and the whole state, and quite honestly the country, but so lacking in access to mental health care. And you add to that the stigma associated with seeking help for mental illness. A lot of people won't seek the help even if, even if it were available. And I can tell you, I, I see the people you're talking talking about and um you know that that could be any of us you know right. one 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 factor being different in our lives and That's it right. could be any That's of right. us we are we're listening to um the three judicial uh candidates for seat two seat three and seat eight for the monroe county uh, midterm election uh, we have democratic candidates darcy fawcett for circuit court judge division nine seat eight katherine stafford Circuit Court Judge, Division 6, C3, and Christine Talley Hazeman, Circuit Court Judge, Division 2, Seat 2, um, in the studio with us today to talk a little bit about what what their what their thoughts are and what they would bring to that to that role as Circuit Court Judge. What I wanted to ask was without getting down the rabbit hole of operations. Um, um, maybe it was you, Christine, a little bit earlier um, w- was talking about the unified uh, board of judges. Mm-hmm. Is that the right word? Yes. yes. Is to to the conversation that we were just having about um, 
the safety nets, the preventative care. Is this sort of the upside of having a board of judges? Is you know, is does it create does having a board of judges create space to to really lean into more of the preventative support networks? Let, let me take a stab at this and also apologize for having coughed earlier. This is <laughs> oh, you're okay. Uh, you're only fined fifty dollars per. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm all right. Um, a board of judges is by nature a conservative entity. Okay. So you can't look for huge societal change from a board of judges. But with that said, a board of judges can certainly set a direction. And we can certainly be a board of judges that looks at alternatives to incarceration or that looks at building bridges to create new ways of handling situations. Um, it will take cooperation with the prosecutor's office and the board of judges, for example, if we want to institute a law uh, enforcement assisted diversion, which is something that Darcy may want to talk about. It will take a board of judges who is creative about how to handle people who come to court on their own without their own attorney called pro se litigants and try to develop resources for them. And so there are ways that as a board of judges, we can make sure that the courts are truly accessible to everyone in our community, whether you live in a mansion or whether you're living out the corner of 7th and Kirkwood. Mm -hmm. Not 7th and Kirkwood, that doesn't work. 7th and Walnut. <laughs> <laughs> yes, one way. <laughs> What are you? What about? What do you? What are your thoughts, Christine? Well, one of the things that I think that is um, really special about the Board of Judges uh, and, and the Unified Court, and again, so basically, we have one court with nine divisions. Okay. Um, and that seems con that's confusing to some people, but that's how you end up with seat not you know nine seats. <laughs> um, but um, the, as judges, like if I were a criminal court judge and I've got a defendant in front of me and I also know from listening to him or her that they're involved in the um, child abuse and neglect that what's called the CHINS case a child in need of services um, and may find out there's also a divorce going on and there's also a protective order um, you know the judges can get information from the other cases to know the families um, kind of look at the family as a whole mm -hmm. and see okay look how you know how okay I now know the situation of the family as a whole, I'm the criminal court judge. What can I do for the criminal defendant in front of me that can help the whole family as well as the person in front of me? So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's an incredible asset that we have. Thank you. You know, we have five minutes left, and I think this topic is going to take 15 minutes. <laughs> but I'm going to raise it because it just happened oh. about a week or so ago. I think of the highest court in the land. And I want to go there tonight. I want to go there. Uh, and if I may ask, now I know this person would be, I don't know, there's, there's a fraternal family. Once you're a justice, then everyone is related some kind of way. But I'm just going to ask about one of your cousins. Uh, <laughs> your opinion on Judge Kavanaugh's uh, his display, not so much that whole background situation, but his display of judicial temperament during his confirmation hearing. Um, we talked earlier about how you comport yourself in, in, in the public's eye. But when you're being confirmed, um, you know, I mean, when you're being, you know, your temperament has to weigh heavy on things. So any comment on that? It's interesting you should bring that up because I don't know if I'm going to get myself in trouble if Catherine is about to say we. I think we can talk. We can talk about that. Okay, I think we can talk. Okay, about I that. don't know, but um, it's interesting that you should bring that up because what I kept hearing people talking about is um, that nobody heard what his victims had to say, and that I, I have an issue with. But his judicial temperament—that's what I kept saying. Whether you believe the story or not, 
when he, you know, when they were talking to him, he got very defensive. He got very angry. He, I, I personally was very disappointed in um, the behavior that he displayed and the um, way that he dealt with it when he was questioned. Uh, you know, as a judge, we're going to be questioned. We're going to be, you know, taken up on appeal and, and it's overturned. right and proper that we are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I was really disappointed. I was disappointed in the um, temperament that I saw that day. My and comment to my family afterwards was that if I had prepped a client for court and my client acted that way, I would have failed as an attorney. And I think, too, you know, responding the way he did showed a, a lack of, of control of his own emotions. And I understand most respond, well, he was being attacked and, you know, his career is on the line. Um, but he also it, he also attacked a, members of a co-equal branch of the government. <laughs> and I, I can't imagine that anyone <clears throat> here within Monroe <clears throat> County would want any of their judges to speak to you know, a county council person, um, a fellow judge, a fellow candidate in that sort of way, in any way, shape or form. You know, obviously he needs to uh, tell his own story and, and put his own version out there. And that, hope, you know, was what I'm assuming he was trying to do. But his demeanor and the way he presented himself, um, again, it, it, it seems to violate some of the most basic tenets of what it's like to be a judge. And I'll, I'll accept maybe shirt tail cousin, but not any closer than that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so given the the volatileness, the partisanness, I mean, really, that turned into a very unfortunately mm -hmm. hyper political situation. Is the role of circuit court judge or any judicial role is that a political role or is that a public servant role? I think that's a, a distinction without a difference. And what I would say is I think we malign politicians as people who are, oh, just politicians. But if you think about it, politicians are public servants. That's literally by definition what we are. Mm -hmm. And I am proud to be running for this office as a Democrat. I am proud to have as friends people who are Republicans. I am proud to have as friends people who are Libertarian and Green Party mm -hmm. and anything in between. I even have a friend who doesn't vote. That one's hard for me. Um, <laughs> But I will say that in Indiana, judges are a partisan race, meaning that we run on a ballot where you decide in the Democratic or Republican primary which candidate should move forward to the general election. And I'm asked frequently, why is that a partisan issue? Shouldn't judges be above all that? Mm -hmm. And I say to them, why is surveyor? Why is auditor? In fact, why is mayor? That's about administering a city. And it's because in those small places, in those gray areas where your job says, I could do it this way or I could do it that way. Hmm. We have a chance to define ourselves and say how we would do the job. And our shorthand for that is what party do you belong to? Is that a perfect system? Probably not. I can't think of a better one. And part of the reason I'm proud to be a Democrat is because I believe that means that I look to the common person first rather than last. We have uh, about 90 seconds. So that's 30 seconds per candidate. And... Uh, Ms. Stafford, you just ended, so we'll go back to Ms. Fawcett. And if you'll give us a 30-second uh, uh, remember-me point as we sort of wrap this uh, part of the interview up. Um, again, every all judges have to be attorneys in order to be a judge. Um, and I think one of the things that sets me apart um, 
from my fellow candidates within this room is previous experiences. I mean, at first, first and foremost, as the deputy prosecutor, um, I have to do a lot of what a judge has to do. Um, I have to look at my cases and base my decisions as a deputy prosecutor on the facts and the the law as it stands. My own personal feelings cannot come into play. I can't charge a case just because I want to. I can't dismiss a case just because I want to. I have to do what justice demands that I do. And that's similar to um, what a judge does. I think in addition to that, my previous experiences, experiences as a teacher, um, again, it, it gives me a different perspective um, and a different lens in which to look and interact with the people who are going to be coming in, in front of me. As a judge, the best thing you can do for people is to get buy-in, right? I can issue all the rulings I want, but if somebody doesn't understand it and if they don't get why I'm doing it, um, it's not going to matter to them and arguably behavior is not going to change. And that could be in a divorce case and, you know, a protective order case or in a criminal case. Um, so I think those are... It's the experience that I have in the courtroom, and then in addition, you know, prior to, um, and I, I know Monroe County. I've I've lived here ever since law school, and I've been so involved in the community. I know, as Catherine was saying, that the values that we hold here and the directions in which we hope to see justice go. Okay, Ms. Tolly Hayes one. Well, and I, it was interesting when Darcy says having lived in the community because Catherine and I both grew up here and have been here for um, a very long time as well. Uh, we won't say how long that's been, but um, <laughs> um, one of the things I found that I think differentiated me from some candidates, and that like, comes with age, um, I'm the oldest of the candidates, but I do have experience working as a public defender, as a deputy prosecuting attorney in my private practice. I've worked in a large uh, law firm, a small law firm, Firm. I've worked as a juvenile referee. I've worked as a judge. I've worked as um, uh, been honored. The Indiana Supreme Court has asked me to serve as a hearing officer um, to hear attorney disciplinary cases. And um, I laugh and I tell my clients that either means I can't hold a job or I'm well-rounded. <laughs> um, but and uh, just to short, I don't know where we are in time, but I guess the other thing I'd really like to say is I've known Catherine. We've worked together or opposite each other for a really long time and I have so much respect for her. Um, I didn't have the pleasure of knowing Darcy until about a year ago and have so much respect as well for this incredible lady who, um, you know, we uh, certainly hope to see join us on the bench. And then finally, uh, Ms. Stafford. Thank you so much. First of all, a big thank you to bring it on. Thank you both Clarence and Roberta for having us on today. And Catherine is fine until at least January 1st. Um, I have three things to really say in parting. And one of those is uh, Darcy does face an opponent in the fall election. So Christine and I are trying to kind of focus the spotlight over, over in that direction. Christine and I are unopposed in the, in the November 6th. So we still hope you'll vote for us. We'd like to get as many votes as possible, I suppose just for our egos, but Darcy's <laughs> the one we really want to worry about. Um, the second thing I want to say is that we all think about a judge existing in the courtroom, but judges are administrators as a close second in terms of their job description. They supervise a staff of court reporters. They have to make sure that they can put the budget together for the entire court services arm of county government. It's a co-equal branch of government to the legislative and executive, and its budget is between eight and nine million dollars a year. It includes probation, youth services bureau, and the entire justice building. So being able to keep track of the budget and the money and the staff is a really important part about being a judge, and that's one thing that I think we all three can bring to the table on that. I know Christine and I especially have each run our own firms and that is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. um, and third, 
the thing that I think I bring um, to my candidacy is an experience and a history of doing pro bono work and activist work as an attorney. I was very proud in law school to receive the Pro Bono Law Student of the Year Award in Minnesota from Sister Helen Prejean. I worked uh, for the Haitian Refugee Project and I've continued that work um, on behalf of disadvantaged and underrepresented people since then. Thank you. If, uh, if we could put a pause at this point to say that our thanks to Darcy Fawcett, Judicial Candidate for Circuit Court Judge, Division 9, Seat 8, Judicial Candidate Catherine Stafford, Circuit Court Judge, Division 6, Seat 3, and Judicial Candidate Christine Talley-Hazeman, Circuit Court Judge, Division 2, Seat 2, for joining us to discuss their campaigns, their passion, their vision. As we move closer to November 6th, which is, while it is a midterm election uh, nationally, there's a lot of things going on here in Monroe County. Uh, to learn more, uh, go to pace.indiana.edu, pace.indiana.edu, or monroedems.org, M-O-N-R-O-E-D-E-M-S dot O-R-G. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything impacting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org.
You just heard a cover of Eric Clapton's Wonderful Tonight by Kenneth Brian Edmonds, known famously as Babyface. He's a singer, songwriter, and record producer. He's written and produced over 26 number one R&B hits throughout his career, and he's won 11 Grammy Awards. On this past Thursday, October 18th, Mr. Edmonds was presented with an honorary doctorate degree in music from Indiana University. In reflection on that moment, Mr. Edmonds posted on Twitter, I'm proud and humbled to be an Indiana University Honorary Doctorate Degree recipient. Thank you to President Michael McRobbie and all involved in making this day so special. I want to say thank you to Daryl Simmons, my family, and friends who joined me. And um, getting back to just some business aspects of our show, to keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at WFHB, you're invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to facebook.com and search for WFHB, or you can always visit the WFHB News website at wfhb.org news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at wfhb.org. For Bring It On, I'm Roberta Radovich. And I'm Clarence Boone. Earlier, we mentioned that on October 18th, IU presented an honorary doctorate degree to Kenny Babyface Edmonds. As previously noted, Edmonds is a prolific writer, songwriter, singer, and record producer. He has written and produced over 26 number one R&B hits throughout his career, and he's won 11 Grammy Awards. James Strong, the director of the IU Soul Review and the African American Arts Institute at IU, is here to offer his reflections and observations on this wonderful tribute. Welcome to Bring It On, James. Hi, I'm honored to be here once again. Wow, what a what a what a Thursday that was. Um, oh yeah. And you know what? A you, know, you, you could you could talk about uh, uh, Dick Clark. You could talk about a whole host of others, but this man doesn't age. Oh, I know. Huh? I mean, he was so aptly named Baby Face. Yeah, it's he doesn't, like look he a doesn't day age. Over 20. But um, I know how old he is, and I'm still looking and say he he doesn't age. Yeah. <laughs> so. I think the music is what keeps him. Keeps him young, and he—I think he kind of reflected on that in some of his comments that mm-hmm. you know he, when he works with young folks, and you know, and uh, how he um, really opens himself up to for 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 the energy to flow through to him, you know, and uh, um, and it keeps him young. Now, in your world, you have no doubt worked with him on a number of projects, no doubt. I've had occasions to uh, work with him. Uh, the last one um, 
um, I believe it was in 2013, we did the, uh, or 12, we did the uh, Tom Joyner uh, Fantastic Voyage Cruise, and I was the musical director for his uh, brother's group, Kevon Edmonds, who was an alumni of the That's IU right. Soul Review. That's right. I was the uh, musical director for After Seven, and we were opening for Babyface on the uh, Tom Joyner Fantastic Voyage Cruise. And uh, that was a wonderful experience. Now, now as a musician, is he, um, you know, a lot of producers or a lot of directors, as yourself, probably come in, everything, time-based, everyone in place, before I arrive. Is he that type of persona, or is is he uh, very meticulous in his craft, or how would you describe him? I would probably probably describe him as... um, He's a master, you know, and you know that the master, when he's looking from his perspective, he's looking from multiple perspectives, as it, with the student, could, he'll probably be looking from one or two perspectives, but the master looks at it from multiple perspectives. That 30,000-foot view. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? And he is so used to it, he can command it. Mm. You know, so I... There probably is a level of meticulousness there and, and, and astuteness, and um, it's probably a lot going on up in there, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, you know, he's one of a kind. Where did he develop that? Uh, if, if you were to take a guess, um, from Indianapolis. Yes. Um, local kid, does wonderful. Um, where would you say he developed and honed his skills? Were they in the church? Were they in school choirs? Or where would you say? I would say, you know, it's a, probably a, a, a conglomeration of all those things. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he uh, alluded to the uh, the R&B movement here in Indianapolis. Uh, he said that surrounding uh, places like Chicago and Ohio, they were more like jazz you know, but the hub of R&B, the movement started here in Indianapolis, inner city of Indianapolis. When people wanted to hear R&B and see a show band, they came to Indianapolis from, you know, to Chicago or to from Ohio and places like that. Uh, so I think that uh, Indianapolis with, the, you know, they had WTLC back then and they were really just jamming all the R&B hits. You know, everybody knows WTLC for for its R&B uh, legacy. And uh, I just think that, um, you know, just like myself, I was surrounded by it in Indianapolis. That's what it was all about. You know, when I first uh, came into contact with bands, it was about, you know, it was Manchild, Ebony Rhythm Funk Campaign, uh, there was a few other bands, but it was these were show bands. They had wardrobe, they had uh, they had stage presence. You know, they had song content, they had emotion, and um, that's what that scene was all about. You know, and they had clubs to play in. They had all kinds of clubs back then, where all these different groups could go and play. So it was all around us. So I would say. You know, school, your peers, church, uh, after-school bands, in the basements, all that. You know, just a conglomeration of all that. It, it inspired all of us. So what really struck you about um, 
Mr. Edmonds's visit and and being able to confer, be a part of the team that was conferring an honorary doctorate. What stood out for you? Well, first of all, it was just an absolute honor. Um, it was an absolute honor for me to participate. Um, I don't know if you guys actually know. I, I'm the one who nominated him, who who brought it brought it to the table. Um, when uh, Indiana University first recruited me to come back, um, there were just there were a set of goals in mind that uh, I wanted to achieve, and that just happened to be one of them because I knew I've been following his career since I was in high school. You know. Um, I first came into contact with Babyface uh, through my brother, my older brother Greg, and he was a guitarist. They were a guitarist in the same band called Manchild, and uh, so I kind of knew about him before the world knew about him. So I could, you know, as a kid I was a fan, and then as I saw his career evolve, I became more of a fan and a, a student. You know, just watching in the background how how he just became, you know, an enormous superstar. And um, to be a part of, you know, bringing him here, for me, I when I got here, I knew, I was like, well, do we know, do you guys know about this guy? Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't, you should. Mm-hmm. And allow me to, mm-hmm. to, to introduce him to you. And once we did that, Everybody was on board. Everybody was like, you know what? We got to do this. This, <laughs> we can't sleep on this. Yeah, and of course, Indiana University knew about him because right. of Kevon, right? Well, of course, yeah. <laughs> he's well, he's yeah. a superstar in his own right. Absolutely, which, mm. which was produced by Babyface and Daryl mm-hmm. Simmons. Uh, that was one of their superstar uh, groups after Seven. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but you know, the world of entertainment and academia. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of travel in their own lanes, right. if you will. Right. And sometimes you got to kind of have that bridge. I think you asked the question, James, of during the conferral um, program, the intersection between education and the arts. So from your perspective, what what's the impact, whether the students understand it now or it's not something that they get until way beyond graduation and they're into their own careers and navigating the business. What's the impact? What was your desire to put those students in audience with somebody in the stratosphere, like Babyface? Yeah. Uh, Well, um, I I really feel that uh, for me, art and education played a big role. You know, once I was out in Los Angeles, it it, uh, it helped me to survive, and um, me being a alumni of Indiana University and IU Soul Review, I'm a product. By the time I got to Los Angeles, I'd kind of already been through a lot of what a professional musician would probably go through, mm-hmm. just by virtue of going through the program. So it set me up. Um, with Babyface, bringing him here, it's, it's, it's just a natural evolution of, you know, me bringing back my influences. You know, me being able to go out and experience all that I have, travel the world, do all the shows and, you know, all the arenas and be affiliated with all these folks 
and have established good relationships with them. Now that I'm back here at Indiana University, I can bring those relationships yeah. back. And I think it kind of worked the way it's supposed to work. You know, I feel like, um, you, you know, Indiana University, the programs have to show some kind of proof yeah. that it actually works. So yeah. I kind of stand in the, uh, <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I stand in the, the position of proof that it works. Yeah. With, with only 60 seconds left, um, <laughs> I want you to wrap this up for us and the impact of what just happened last Thursday. Um, and you've been doing a wonderful job doing that. But if you could wrap this for us, what would you say? I would say um, it was just a tremendous, tremendous honor to have someone of that magnitude, you know, come back and be honored by his hometown, uh, one of the premier universities in the world, you know, and for our students to be able to have a firsthand bird's eye view in contact with this superstar. I think that was just magnificent. Because one of them could be the very next. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, on that note, and we will definitely have you back because uh, we want to bring you back before the potpourri sure. um, is launched and get you back for more reflection. Uh, we want to thank um, James Strong, IU Soul Review Director, for joining us to offer both observations and from personal experiences, uh, sort of uh, uh, just who Babyface is or Kenneth Edmonds is. Uh, again, he was honored on October 18th and uh, presented with an honorary doctorate degree in music from Indiana University. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 93.7 FM on your radio and live on the web at WFHB.org. Again, our thanks to Darcy Fawcett, Judicial Candidate for Circuit Court Judge, Division 9, Seat 8, Judicial Candidate Catherine Stafford, Circuit Court Judge, Division 6, Seat 3, and Judicial Candidate Christine Tally hazeman Circuit Court Judge, Division 2C2. I tried to say it in one breath, but I couldn't. <laughs> for joining us to discuss their campaigns for the upcoming November 6th midterm elections. Our show's producer is Clarence Boone, with help from WFHB News Director Wes Martin. Our board engineer is Wes Martin. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effium, with additional background tracks from David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Roberta Radovich. And I'm Clarence Boone. Tune in next Monday, October 29th at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.